Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Forging the Path. My name is Adam, and this podcast is all about helping men become the men that God created them to be. And uh, we just, we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we try and have conversations with regular, hardworking dudes, husbands, fathers, uh, business leaders that I know around the Milwaukee area. And so today I'm really excited. I've got my friend Johnny Ferreira with me. Uh, the way I know Johnny is pretty funny. I, I know him through real estate because his wife works at the same brokerage as I do with my wife. And so her name is Candace. She's awesome. And that's kind of how I got to know Johnny and uh, their family. So Johnny, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm really excited. So I'm going to ask you first and foremost to share some of your story with our audience to give them an idea of who you are, what you do for a living, and kind of where you come from. Yeah, so I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I was raised here in Milwaukee um, on the south side, kind of a a rougher area over on Lincoln Street. I grew up with my mom and then usually saw my father on the weekends or every other weekend. Um, Kind of a misguided youth. My home life was pretty chaotic at times. Uh, My mom had some addiction issues. Um, You know, we were extremely poor growing up. We didn't really have a lot. We would go to food pantries, and at one point we were even homeless. We ended up in a shelter for abused women. Um, So childhood was pretty pretty rough. I know lots of people have it rough growing up, um, so maybe mine isn't too bad in comparison. But honestly, it was a big part of who I am. I really learned as a kid to uh, find the motivation to kind of pull myself out of my situation. So I ended up uh, going to military school because I was getting into some trouble. Um, That's how I graduated high school. So, um, you know, I kind of got involved with a lot of things that were going on in the community, uh, made some bad choices, and then decided when I was like 17 and a half that I was going to uh, straighten my life out. Um, I decided to join the Army National Guard because I had some uncles who were serving in the National Guard. And I listened to their stories growing up and um, it was kind of my way out of my situation. So I joined right at 17 and a half. Um, my mom couldn't sign those papers fast enough and get me out of there. <laughs> so um, I, I joined, um, I got back, and I, it really kind of helped me propel my life in a better direction. Um, I deployed uh, two times, uh, one to Iraq and then one to Kosovo. Um, after my second deployment, I got what's called an active guard job. So that's basically... I get all the benefits of active duty, same type of pay, retirement, all that kind of stuff. I wear the uniform every day, only I stay in the state of Wisconsin. I belong to uh, the Wisconsin Army National Guard. I can still be deployed and things like that overseas, um, but primarily I'm here in Wisconsin. So um, after a few different active guard jobs, I ended up in recruiting. Um, I kind of, I really found my passion for recruiting because um I find those kids who are in that situation that I was in, and I try and provide them the same opportunity. So, you know, recruiters get a bad rap for being like used car salesmen and stuff like that. But Hmm. um, honestly, like, I truly believe in what I'm selling and what I'm trying to provide to people. 
uh, because there's kids out there in Milwaukee and, you know, the greater Milwaukee area, which is what my team covers, that need this opportunity, um, and it, it could change their life. So every day, in my opinion, I get to wake up and I get to do the best job in the world, which is go find people who are willing to serve and uh, help them achieve that goal. So it's um, it's a real blessing to be able to put that uniform on every day. And, um, you know, I, I thank God every day that I'm in the position that I'm in. And uh, right now I lead a team um, of about eight other recruiters. So I supervise them, and uh, our mission is to plus up the state of Wisconsin and the Army National Guard. Yeah. Wow. How many years now has it been total in the military? So I've been in 17 years now. Yeah. So at this point, over half my life. Yeah. yeah. So I've been doing this uh, lo longer than I can even remember at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your deployments. Uh, when were they and for how long? You mentioned Iraq and Kosovo. Yep. So my my first deployment was in 2009. So it was, um, I was only in about four years at that time. So back in 05, when I joined, it was a lot different, right? So that was like troop surge time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, if you joined the military back then, it wasn't a matter of if you were going, it was a matter of when. Oh, yeah. So like everybody who was joining, you knew you were going at one point. So you, you just mentally prepared for it from the time you swore in. Um, so I deployed to Iraq in 2009, and that was with the 32nd Military Police Company, which uh, that unit actually has pretty historic significance. Um, Michelle Whitmer was the first uh, female killed in action since, I believe, World War II. Um, so, you know, that, that unit has a really... Uh, storied history. So wow. um, I deployed with them. Our mission was to assess prisons in the Baghdad area and then transport uh, POWs and uh, other prisoners that were housed from one area to the next. Yeah. So that was, we did nine-ish months in country in Iraq. And then there was about a three to four month train up, if I remember correctly. Wow. Um, and that was, my daughter was only a few months old at that point. So oh. um, she was, you know, pretty much just born. And then I was right out the door, missed her first steps, missed her first words, like all that kind of stuff. So um, luckily she was too young to remember it. And then my second deployment was to Kosovo. So, you know, the conflict that happened in the 90s, you know, a lot of right. people don't realize we still have a U.S. presence there. Right. Um, that deployment was, you know, the 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 threat level was significantly lower, um, if any. I mean, it was more like an active duty tour, I would compare it to. Um, it, you know, we were still, you know, we still had to suit up if we got close to the Serbian border and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty mild. It wasn't It wasn't bad. The, yeah. the hardest part was just being away from home again for another year. I would imagine that the two tours were very different. Very different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perspective yeah. is everything on deployment. Um, you know, in, in my Iraq tour, you know, I've talked to so many other people and there's so many other people who I, I feel like I've contributed almost nothing compared to some people I've talked to, you know, mm -hmm. even though I went and I answered the call. But, you know, I know guys who are Purple Heart recipients, um, you know, multiple combat tours like and really those guys are the you know, those are the guys that I admire. Yeah. What, what would you say is the what was the coolest thing you saw in Iraq and what was the most challenging thing you experienced in Iraq? 
The coolest thing I saw, um, honestly, just being there was really like, you know, as a kid, I watched Black Hawk Down way too many times. You know, we were soldiers, <laughs> saving yeah. Private Ryan, all that yeah. stuff. So, you know, I initially joined the infantry before eventually becoming military police. So, you know, I, I wanted to deploy. Like, I, I grew up wanting to deploy ever since I saw those planes hit the towers in 9-11. Um, so just being there was like, it was almost surreal. You know, I was like, okay, I've been thinking about this my whole young adult life, and now now I'm finally here. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, and then the reality sets in that you're in a combat zone and that people are dying. Um, in 2009, the casualties were significantly less, um, but the complexity of the tax was different. So uh, IEDs was obviously the main th threat in Iraq, but they also transitioned to what's called EFPs, so the EFPs were a lot more deadly, um, and the attacks were much less frequent. But I, I, if I remember correctly, the likelihood of somebody passing from an EFP attack was a lot higher than just a normal IED. Oh. Um, so luckily, I was never hit by an IED or an EFP or anything like that, but it was happening throughout the city. Um, and we have trackers that we use in our vehicles, and you you know, you know see the reports, and uh, yeah, there were there were people dying, you know, within miles of you. So uh, that that was that was probably the hardest part, just yeah. being there um, and knowing that's happening, and then also wondering is it going to happen to you every day? And you know, you've also got indirect fire coming in, and that's you know, you usually get mortared daily. Um, it upticks on the holidays. I remember on Christmas and New Year's, you know, they hit us really hard. Um, so you're running to the bunkers all the time. Um, but yeah, that was probably the hardest part. And then being away from your family is always tough. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah being away from the family. I can imagine. I mean, I can't imagine, but, um, so how did, did you feel like when you came back from those deployments that you were, you were changed in any way for better or worse? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't grow up religious, you know, we would go on, we would go to church on Christmas and Easter yeah. and, you know, kind of like that, um, which is pretty common these days. Um, but I found uh, Christ when I was in Iraq. Um, and I can remember specifically when it happened. You know, I was laying in my bed and I had a very surreal dream. Um, and I, I, f I just found peace in the Bible. Uh, I found peace in reading my Bible when I was over there and it just, something just pulled me in. And ever since then, you know, I've been a, a believer in Christ and I feel my life has been significantly better since I've tried to be a better Christian. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell us about that moment where you're in Iraq. Mm -hmm. You said you were in your, your bunk. Yeah, I was in my bunk. I, and you, what's, I mean, were you, were you, were you just reflecting? Were you, uh, I, what what drew you to reach out to God in that moment? Honestly, so I, I had a dream, and um, I've probably only told you know my wife this, and maybe one other person. Um, but I, I just had a dream that I was in fire, honestly, and I was in pain. And then I had a, a dream that like an angel lifted me out of that and brought me to somewhere better and to light. And although it was just a dream, I remember waking up and it felt like the most real thing. Uh, it felt as real as you and I here right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I found, I remember that sense of peace I felt and I had already been reading my Bible. So obviously that was resonating with me and in the back of my mind, 
Um, you know, cause when you're in Iraq and you're deployed and you're away from your family and, you know, most people are miserable besides the camaraderie that you get, there's just not a lot of happiness going around. So, uh, when that happened, I just, I, I felt a pulling towards it and I just kind of followed that path. Oh yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm taking notes. This is, yeah. that's incredible. This, this dream. Okay. That's, that's amazing, Johnny. So you come back, obviously changed in, in many different ways. Yeah. Um, but you're still a soldier, yep. right? You know, after those two deployments and, uh, and real quick touch, touch base a little bit on your family. Cause you, I mean, we, I know Candace, but yep. you guys have been married for how many years and there's kids and t- give us a little bit of that. Yeah, so I I have two kids. Uh, I have a 15-year-old and a 9-year-old who's about to be 10. Uh, they're both in dance and cheer. Um, and they're, you know, right now they're daddy's girls, you know, so that's awesome. Um, and then my wife, Candice, obviously works here at Realty Executives. And uh, really, she is a major part of who I am today. She found me in a really dark spot when I got back from Iraq, and I was just kind of in a a dark place. I had a vision of what my life would be when I got back and it just wasn't, everything was kind of in shambles. Um, and I was just in a really dark space and she was kind of like also my angel who kind of pulled me out of that darkness. And really she's honestly the best person I know. And Hmm. she helped me be a better person. Um, and she, she makes me want to be better for her and the girls every day. She is awesome. She, Thank you. Yeah. Candace and uh, Johnny's wife and my wife get coffee sometimes, and uh, yeah, they're they're very <laughs> they're very similar very in many similar, ways. Yes. Yep. They're both very yep. awesome. Yep. Great realtors, great moms. Uh, that's awesome. So she, God used her in some significant ways to help pull you back uh, back out of that pit. Absolutely. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was that angel when I needed it the most, and. She was raised very conservative, and you know her father is also one of the best men I've ever met in my life. Hmm. Um, and he's his knowledge of the Bible is unparalleled from what I've seen. And uh, so her family was raised conservative, and their their values really resonate with me. And one of the things I noticed about her is that she's just a good person, and has a lot to do with her upbringing and mm-hmm. who her father and mother are. And uh, honestly, it's been a blessing even just being part of their family. Wow. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Not not n- not every in law can say no, that. No, yeah, yeah, and I'm not just saying that because this is being recorded either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll send it to Candace's mm-hmm. family and look, yep. look how great John yeah. is talking <laughs> yeah. about you guys. Get those brownie points. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, that's really cool. What a blessing, man! Thanks for sharing some of that stuff yeah. too. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I know you said you you haven't really shared some of that stuff with uh, with very many people, but I think it's one of the takeaways I noticed just in this brief conversation is you you found Christ in a really incredible, borderline miraculous way. And yet you come back from that deployment and you still got to walk some stuff out. Yeah. And I think that's important because sometimes I hear Christianity preached uh, mostly on like TV and Internet. I hear Christianity preached as if it's going to solve all your problems and right. make your life wonderful. Yeah. And man, that is such an American lie. <laughs> right. Uh, really if is. you talk to Christians around the world, like 
it's funny. I think some of the, uh, the the testimonies. I'm using air quotes. It's you can't see me. I think some of the testimonies in America are like, "Oh, my life was miserable, and then I started following Jesus, and my life got amazing." Right. Whereas I've talked to people who, uh, whether it's Africa, Middle East, China, their stories of coming to know the Lord are like, "Well, my life was actually pretty okay. It was pretty comfortable." Then I started following Jesus, and it got so much harder. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's worth it. And that's how they end their the the story of their life is like, but it's worth it. There's right. so much more joy. It's not easy. It's not convenient. There's persecution. There's poverty. There's hardship. Right. But eternally speaking, like I'm so much better off. I have peace that I yeah. can't even put into words. And so I like that your story has those bumps in the road, even after you come to faith in the Lord. You you know you come you found Christ in Iraq, and all right, I'm in. I believe. you're my savior, I'm following you, and you're still walking through certain valleys. And I I just wanted our audience to hear that, like, that's that's reality. That's very biblical. And I'm really grateful that you shared some of that and how God is still working on you and in you and through you um, until the day we see him face to face. Yeah, it's it's the easy button, right? So everybody thinks that there's an easy button to solve all their problems. And (laughs) sometimes Christianity is advertised like that too, right? So, you know, follow Christ, here's your easy button and your life is just going to get significantly better. Um, But there is no easy button. It's just, that's just a fact. There's no easy button. There's no easy way to improve your life. There's no easy way to be successful and there's no easy way to overcome adversity. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not the shining example of Christianity, right? So I get angry. I use profanity sometimes. Like, you know, I stumble all the time. Um, but one thing that I try and tell people who aren't believers is, look, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know the Bible like the back of my hand. But one thing I do know is that my life has 100% improved since I became a Christian and since I tried to be a better man and be Mm -hmm. a better example. I'm not always that example, right? But I strive every day to maybe inspire somebody, um, especially in the recruiting world and every day just try and be a little bit better. And, you know, my life has significantly improved since I made that decision. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a little bit about that in the recruiting world, because you said a moment ago that you truly believe in what you're selling. Yeah. When you're talking to these young kids and you're seeing maybe a little bit of a mirror of yourself when you were 16, 17, 18, yep. right? And so what are you selling to these kids in the Milwaukee area that do have a story that's similar to yours? What what are you, and maybe we won't say selling because I know that's a, what are you offering? What are you inviting them to? What are you giving them um, that you so believe in? The biggest part is just, I try and impart that passion that I have for the uniform and for the service on other people. I mean, every branch of service has benefits. Every branch of service has, you know, retirement and health care and college benefits and stuff like that. And, you know, the fact of the matter is in Wisconsin, our guard troops are taken care of probably better than any other branch because we have additional education benefits. But the one thing that I try and impart on people is the passion I have for it. Um, I've been blessed to be very successful in recruiting. 
um, two years ago or the year, yeah, last year I was the top recruiter in the state. And then I went on to represent Wisconsin at the national level. And I placed like top seven in the nation for recruiters out of like 3,500. Um, and I'm not saying that to say, Oh, look how awesome I am. But I believe that when I talk to people, they see the passion I have for it. And they see that I'm not just selling them on something. I'm not trying to convince them to do something. I truly believe in this uniform and that flag that I wear on my arm and it, what it's done for me. So I just try and tell them like, look, you're going to get out of the Army National Guard or any branch of service what you put into it. Mm -hmm. If you give it 100%, you're going to walk away with so much more than you entered with. It, it'll teach you to reach new heights. It'll teach you to push yourself. It'll teach you how to overcome adversity. Yeah, you, you may be put in some situations like when I was in Iraq that you're feeling very, you know, desperate and down. But once you come out of the other side of that, it's like, you know, your iron is forged in fire. Right. So yeah. that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And, and that's what I try and impart on those who are interested. I love that. Um, so thank you. Thank you not only for your service, but thank you for the way you just articulated that. And what I see in a lot of um, American Christianity and American church is something similar. Like you, people don't realize you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to say, hey, I, I want my fire insurance, I'll believe in the good Lord and I'll go on Christmas and Easter and kind of that's it. And then the rest of it is like, I want to live my life how I want to live my life. Um, yeah, Christianity for you is going to be shallow. It's not going to be that rich. It's not going to be that robust. No one's going to really ask you like, hey, bro, you're different. What 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 is it about you? Like, why do you have so much joy, hope, peace, whatever? You're going to get out of it what you put into it versus some other people I see like really pursuing God. They're mm -hmm. like, man... I love him. I, I can't explain it. I can't describe it. Like when, when I follow him, when I read the Bible, when I hang out with other Christians, like I, I just, I'm sharpened. Yeah. I'm, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I feel more joy and peace. I'm more excited about life that I, I just want to share that. Um, so I think there's a, there's a really cool principle there. You get out of it what you put into it, and yeah. it applies to the military. I think it applies to a number of different things in life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it sounds really cliche, right? You put out of it what you put into it, but there's a reason that it's said all the time by people who have accomplished great things. That's it's, right. It's just, it's just true. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, amen. So, Johnny, like... What would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned so far in being a soldier? That you are capable of so much more than you think. So I never played sports in high school. We couldn't afford it. Um, I never really was pushed for achievement or anything like that. So I didn't really know what I was capable of until I joined the Army. And I started putting myself in hard situations, deployments, I've been to air assault school, um, all the hand-to-hand -hand combat schools, all three levels. And really, I find I wish I would have learned it earlier in my life, but you, you really have no limits. You're only limited by your own mindset and what you're willing to push yourself to do. You know, and you hear like a lot of the really great accomplished people say the same thing. 
but I'm just an average guy, you know, and I've been able to at least push myself to some achievements that I'm proud of. And I didn't really think I was capable of that when I was growing up. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing I learned is just, you, you have no clue what you're capable of until you throw yourself in the fire. And if you get out of that, every time you do that, you're better and better and better. And you just, it just adds, it's the compound effect. Yeah. Get out of it, what you put into it, no limits. And then, yeah, you are capable of so much more than you think. So application, let's say, let's say we got a dude listening to this podcast, you know, he's, he's driving in his car to his next appointment or whatever. And he's like, yeah, okay. So I'm capable of more than I think. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what practical advice would you give to the average guy? Think of guys like us that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm working hard. Uh, I'm trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good father. You know, when I have time, I'm trying to maybe stay in shape. How would you elaborate on this? Hey, Hey bro, you're capable of more than you think. What does that mean for the average guy like you and me? It's, it all comes down to minor changes. So, you know, I, I keep myself in shape and I'm very diligent about my physical activity. And, and I'm also very diligent about what I put in my mind. So I listen to, um, mm-hmm. you know, podcasts like this. I watch motivational videos every morning. Mm-hmm. You, you have to take those small minor steps to improving your mindset. First thing I do when I get in the car is I throw on an audio of like a motivational video on YouTube. And that's what I fill my mind with right away in the morning. And I decide at the beginning of the day that I'm going to exercise today. And no matter what, my day is not done until I've accomplished that. I include that in my work schedule. So, you know, I don't kick my feet up and rest at night if I've told myself at the beginning of the day, this is what I want to accomplish. Once you set those boundaries and you draw that line in the sand, you don't cross that line. And if you stick to that for a few days, eventually it'll turn into a week and then it'll turn into two weeks. And then eventually it'll just be ingrained in your mindset in your life. Um, but you have to draw that line in the sand. Yeah. And sure, sometimes you may not stick to it, but if you do it frequently enough, it will become part of who you are. Yeah. What encouragement would you give to guys who want to do that, but maybe they struggle with uh, consistency? Or uh, you know, the 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 stick-to-itiveness, you know? Yeah, so I get a lot of people reaching out to me um, who want workout advice and stuff like that. And they ask, you know, what, what would you recommend? And I'll give them advice. And then they stick to it for a few days and then they just completely fall off. Mm. And the reason that people fall off when they do draw that line in the sand is because they stumble for, let's say, like a weekend or maybe three days. And then they just give up because they forgot about the, the five days before that, that they were diligent and they stuck to it. Just because you stumble or maybe you happen to take a week off from doing what you said you were going to, it doesn't throw away all that progress you did before. If you remember what got you there and why you made those decisions, it'll help you get back on track. People throw in the towel really quick after they've stumbled, yep. forgetting about all the progress they've made prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so good, Johnny. So consistency is undefeated is a phrase that I like. Consistency. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that they are consistent 
in whatever they're doing. So if you got the guy who's like, "Ah, I always, I I start a workout plan, but I never stay with it. I would argue you're, you're consistent. You're consistent at Netflix. Yep. (laughs) You're consistent at Twinkies or at junk food. Like, yeah, Yeah. bro, you're consistent. The problem isn't, oh, I'm just, I just don't stay with it and I'm not consistent with things. Well, actually you are, you're consistent in the wrong things. Yep. Um, I've found for me, uh, maybe you can speak to this, um, discipline, uh, is, is so good. Uh, what is Jocko always discipline equals freedom. I love that saying. I love that too. Very true. Sometimes for me, I need accountability with my discipline Yeah. and I need, especially on the front end, if I'm just in the first couple weeks of something or a couple months of something. And if I got a guy or a couple guys who will call me out on my crap yep. <laughs> and hold me accountable. That that goes a long way too. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's. I love Jocko too because one of the things that he said that I always remember is some people think that, you know, because of what you see on TV and YouTube and even podcasts is that you're always going to be motivated, that you're going to wake up motivated when you decide you're going to change your life. You're always going to be motivated that's just not true. And when you can't count on motivation, what do you have to count on? You have to count on discipline. And when he said that, that really resonated with me because, you know, I'm going to be 36. And honestly, like when I, all my friend group and most of the people that I interact with, they're always asking me like, how do you stay in such good shape? You know, while the rest of us are, you know, kind of on the down, the downslide. And no, I'm not always motivated to go to the gym and I'm not always motivated to lead my team and to, you know, pursue that success. But I just make sure I have the discipline to show up with that mindset and remember, this is just part of who I am. If you identify with somebody who's in shape and somebody who's pursuing achievement and somebody who is always hungry to be successful and better, if you identify with that, it becomes who you are. Hmm. And if that's who you are, that's who eventually you will be and continue to be, but you have to decide that that's just who I am. I am a person who goes to the gym five to six days a week. That's who I am. If I don't do that, then I'm not being true to myself. I am a person who is constantly in pursuit of success and self-improvement. If I don't do that, I'm not being truthful to myself and I'm not who I am. I have ingrained that in my personality and my mindset. And I, I, that's something I refuse to compromise on. Sure, it may, you know, my body might suffer. I got aches and pains, and sometimes I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted. But I will push the engine until it ceases to run, because <laughs> it's just who I am. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've had people tell me all the time, you know, you need to slow down. You're doing too much. It's going to take a toll on you and all that. And I've decided that it's just who I am, and I will never stop. Nice. <laughs> you know. So we're talking about a mindset more, yeah. more than just habits and activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, the, it is, it's those things too. Yeah. But more than that, it's a mindset. And it goes back to what you said earlier. Every day I fill my mind with something healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And that shapes identity. Who, who am I? Well, I'm a guy who works out and I work out hard and I'm a guy who goes to work and I work hard yep. and that's who I am. Yeah. And so when, when I have a bad day, that's all it is. It's it's not 
it doesn't take me completely off track. Like, oh, that was a bad day. Right. Okay. Like you worked out five days in a row and then, and then you skipped one. All right. Well, get back on track next day. Yep. Shake it off. Remember who you are. That's awesome. Uh, anything else you wanted to add on that point? No, no, that's it. I mean, you know, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And that's that's only how you figure out, you know, how much you're capable of and how you can improve. You yeah. got to push yourself in the discomfort. Yeah. That yeah. that's part of why I named this podcast Forging the Path. Yeah. There was something that drew me to that word forge it. As I look around at our culture now, I I see Comfort and convenience are like our highest two priorities. Right. Yet I know from studying a little bit of history and from talking to guys I really look up to, my own father, my grandparents, and things like that, the the, the best things that we have now are because people were uncomfortable yep. and worked hard and yep. things were inconvenient, but they did it anyway, you know? Yep. And so I, I just don't want us to lose that no. as uh, as a society. No, I, I think the, you know, especially when you bring up society and, you know, losing that, I see so often now that people are just okay with the status quo. They're okay with just getting by and people are okay with not having that hunger and that motivation and that in that drive to succeed. And honestly, that competitiveness, yeah, like competitiveness is almost seen as like a negative personality trait these That's days. That's so sad. Like it's, and it's crazy to me every day you're competing in the world. You're competing against your peers. You're competing against depression. You're competing against, uh, laziness. You're, you're always going to be competing, competing against Compe- yourself, yourself yesterday, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yesterday, the day before, um, you know, and, and, yeah, I'm competing with my peers. I go to the gym five, six days a week because I don't believe my peers are going to do it. And if they are, then I'm going to do it even more, (laughs) you know, and that's not, and they know this, we go back and forth about it. I'm competing with my peers for promotions, for new positions, all that kind of stuff. And it's not an ego thing. It's just, that's what we should be doing as men is we should be trying to compete to better ourselves and our family in this world and forging that path, yeah. you know, otherwise, um, you know, you got to find that purpose. What was your purpose here? Yeah. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you looking to achieve? What are you looking, what inspires you? Um, for me, it's always trying to better myself and my family. And I do that by staying competitive and staying, you know, constantly pushing myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the truly great competitors, whether it's sports or something else, they don't want their competition to take it easy on them either. Right. I, I don't, I don't like, I, I'm with you. I can, I totally identify with you in terms of like working out with other people. I, if I'm working out with someone, yeah. I'm trying to do it better than them. Right. <laughs> like yeah. I just am. And for me, it, it's not so much the weight room, but it's, it's CrossFit style, calisthenic yeah. workouts, you know, running, pull-ups, push-up, do a Murph, stuff like that. And if I do it with people, I want to do it faster and better than everybody in the gym. Right. Yep. But I don't want them to go easy for even half a second. No. And if they happen to beat me that particular day, like, good, I'll get you tomorrow. Hey, congrats. Good job. Right. Yep. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, yeah. next time I see you, like, I'll be better. Yep. And I think in in doing that, we we all get better. Mm-hmm. Like, they get better. I get better. And, um, and I just think we've... 
we've become a culture that's almost like anti-competitiveness. Yeah. It started in my generation. Well, you, we're about the same age. I, I'm 41, you're 30. So I'm a little older. Yeah. But the participation trophies just, yeah. I remember being in fourth or fifth grade and getting one of those when we lost. Yeah. We, I forget, we lost a basketball tournament, but we got some stupid ribbon. Right. I looked at my friends, even as a fourth or fifth grader, I'm like, this is bullshit. Yep. <laughs> like I threw yeah. it in the garbage. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like either I get, they, they, okay, first place, second place, third place, or nothing. And right. the first place should be the biggest trophy. And the teams that get second and third should get small little things. We don't need ribbons for everybody else no. at this basketball tournament. I was mad as like a 10-year-old. Yeah. Like, participation, this is stupid. And we've we've taken it to a whole new level. Now we're... I think we celebrate lack of competition almost. Oh yeah. And it, you see it everywhere. And even like with my daughters, um, you know, they're both in competitive dance and cheer and, you know, sometimes they, they really beat themselves up when they don't win or if they can't do anything. And, you know, I admit that's probably me rubbing off on them because they know that I'm always (laughs) trying to, you know, you know, push towards that achievement and getting those small wins in life. But what I always try and remind them is they'll come and they'll be really bummed out if they didn't win. And the first question I ask them is, did you give it your all? Mm. And if they say, well, not really, well, then, yeah, you should be down on yourself. If you did not give it your all in 110%, then, yeah, you should be down on yourself. But if you did and you came up short, well, good. Now you can be proud of yourself. You can learn from it. You can grow. You can be better. Yeah. Um, In that pursuit of winning an achievement, you know, you're not always going to win. But if you gave it your all, then you can still rest easy and be proud of yourself. That's right. If not, then, yeah, you should sit on that failure. You should sit on it. And it should resonate and it shouldn't feel good. Um, but you can learn from that. There's learning in that. Yeah. My, my dad and I had a good conversation um, about the f- parents giving their children the freedom to fail sometimes. Yeah. And how that's so important. As a, as a dad... Like, of course, it's not like I want my kid to fail or I'm cheering for them to not win their competition, but just in, in life in general, like the, the freedom to try something and fall and scrape your knee yeah. and not be so uh, helicopter parent or participation award generous that right. we, we our kids can experience failure and it actually will make them stronger right. and better and get back up again, try harder. Why did it go that way? Let's reassess and let's next time let's do better. Yep. And, and it, it's okay to be upset about like, I didn't, I didn't win. Yep. We don't need to protect uh, our, ourselves or our kids from that. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so much learning and failure um, and it can't be emphasized enough. Huh. Like the biggest, the biggest learning times I've had in my career is from the biggest failures for sure. Yeah. And you know, you try and, you try and internalize that and make the changes necessary so that you're not in that position again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of already speaking to this, but the very next question is, as a soldier, what's your biggest concern as you look at our country today? And maybe we've already touched on some of it, but maybe there's something else. You yeah, have my, my biggest concern is just the lack of patriotism. Ah, That really uh, scares me. Almost... Is if when you see the American flag, when I when I look at the American flag, I see like the American dream and I see, 
you know, my, my father came over here from Mexico when he was five years old as an immigrant. All his brothers did. My grandparents did. Um, my, my grandmother was from Scotland, you know, and they came over here and they worked their butts off and they provided for their children and they achieved that semblance of the American dream. That's what I see when I see the American flag. I see an endless amount of opportunities, but nowadays you see him removing the American flag because it makes people uncomfortable, which is absolutely insane to me. Um, America stands for freedom and people uniting against tyrants, not division and not the left versus the right or one side versus the other. So when I see that and I see the lack of patriotism and people who say, and I have high school kids say to me, like, I'm not going to serve America because I don't even like America. And that is a learned behavior. Uh, they're not even old enough to have an understanding of the world enough to understand that. that that's taught to them by society and possibly, <laughs> you know, their parents and the people around them. So when you see that lack of patriotism, yeah, it's concerning. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I believe that America does stand for freedom and uniting people from all different walks of life, people from all over the world. So, yeah, it's concerning when I see that. It worries me. It worries that we're going too far in that direction, that the pendulum might not swing back. That's what concerns me the most. It concerns me too greatly, lack of patriotism. So what, in your opinion, is the remedy? I think the remedy starts in the household. Um everything being pushed to us by the media and by everything that people consume on social media, TV, Netflix, you name it, I think is all designed to teach our children that, you know, America is bad and, uh, you know, there has to be a left versus right and things like that. So our biggest way to combat that is by educating our kids in the household. Yeah. And, and telling them what that flag stands for, what our values are, and uncompromisingly as well. So when I educate my daughters, I say, look, this is what may be acceptable at school and on social media and things that you see, but in our household, this is where we draw that line. This is that line in the sand. You can love people for the decisions that they make. You can show them love and respect, but you do not have to agree with it. And you don't have to pretend to agree with it either. Yeah. And if they ever come home from school and say, you know, I got in trouble because I didn't agree with this, I will never, ever punish them for that, ever. Um, and I won't compromise on that either. Yeah, that's good. Do you think that our country's coming to a place where we're, we're actually encouraging our own citizens to dislike or even hate our country or the idea of patriotism? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think if if you spend a little time on social media, you'll see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are people are afraid to be patriots. When you, I, I spend a lot of time in high schools because I'm a recruiter. Right. right. Um, and when you see the Pledge of Allegiance go on, and maybe twenty percent of the class actually, you know, puts their hand on their heart and does it. That, that, that shows you wow. where that line is, that it's not enforced by our education system, which is where our kids spend most of their time. Mm-hmm. And it's not, in, it, it's not enforced in the household either. 
Because yeah. if it was, those kids would stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, they would stand for the national anthem. Um, and you just don't see it as much anymore. And there are a few that you can tell the kids who stop what they're doing. They stop their talking. They put their phones down. They take their ear pods out. And they put their hand on their heart and they say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, those are the kids who have also, their families have also drawn that line in the sand. Yeah. It's like, this is what we stand for. Yeah. Whew. So it starts in the household. Um, but let me ask you, from there, you know, from, from the household, we go out, we're going to interact with people. What would you say to someone? I'm sure you've had these instances. What do you say to the to the 18 year old that looks at you and's like, "Our country sucks. Like, why why would I ever be proud of it? America's not not a good country, not a great country. Like, I, it's stupid. I'd rather live somewhere else." What what do you? How do you respond in those moments when someone is just blatantly anti patriotic? So in those moments, um, I try and just first take a deep breath because I take that personally when people say that. I try not to. I always maintain my professionalism. But the first thing I tell them is, if you've been to other countries and seen some of the places that I've seen, you would understand that you hit the life lottery by being born here. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake about it. You hit the lottery by being born in America. And you can say that to me with no repercussions. You can come up to me and say, you hate the army, you hate America, and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's a beautiful thing, right? I've been to places and countries where if you do that, you could be thrown in prison or executed for saying that about your country. You can be anything you want to be here, regardless of what the government thinks about it. Mm -hmm. There's places in the world where you can be executed for being homosexual. You can be executed for saying anything anti-government. You can be publicly hung for having those anti-government views. Right. That still goes on today. People don't realize that that stuff happens all over the world in lots of different countries. But here, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And they're free to say those things. And that's the beauty of it. That's what we have to defend and that's what we have to protect. Mm. Do you think there's a silent majority of people who are patriotic or... I do. Not. You do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And the silent part is what kills me. I was going to ask right? you about that next. The silent part is what kills me because I will, it, it's pretty clear to see that I'm a patriot, right? And because I put the uniform on every day. Yeah. So I have people who come to me and gravitate towards me who also feel those same values, but they're afraid to say it and they're afraid to, you know, be a public patriot and post that 4th of July thing saying, I don't care what anybody says. This is the best country in the world. And anybody who doesn't like it can kiss my ass. They're afraid to say that. And I tell those people the silent majority can't be silent anymore because mm -hmm. silence is acceptance. And at some point, everybody has to express those views and be those patriots and be those people who refuse to be silent anymore. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't know yeah. if that answers your question. No, it I does. I, I was I was talking with a a good friend of mine for a few decades now, and he agreed with me that there is a silent majority. Mm -hmm. um, and he just had uh, he had more optimism than I do, and I think than you do. That in the end, the silent majority will, will win win out, and they don't need to speak up. They just you know need to keep their heads down, keep their noses down, and keep doing you know 
the good things quietly, you know, raise, raise their kids, right. They, they don't need to get into any, um, debates in the public square, so to speak. And, and I, I, I hear where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most important thing is what you do at home, how you raise your kids. And probably most of the time, yeah, we do kind of keep our noses down and be about ourselves right. and our family and our friend circles. But I, I was gently pushing back saying, yeah, but you know what, bro? I do think there's times, there's moments where guys like you and me, the silent majority, mm-hmm. need to speak up a little bit more. Because yep. I think we've been too silent. And I think when we see something that's unjust or something that if you go down that road, it will lead to the demise of our country and all the all the values that we celebrate and hold dear. And so I'll do it in a loving manner, but I'm going to say, no, right. it's not okay, whatever. It's like, I'm just going to say things like, it, you know, it's not okay to... Uh, to have fatherless homes. You, yeah. you pick your thing. It's not okay that we are a, a nation that seems to celebrate abortion. Like that's yeah. not okay. It's not okay to have drag queen story hour. Right. Um, there's certain things that I'm gonna say. No way. It's not okay to hang any other flag on level with the U.S. flag. We don't need more flags being held up that look just the stars and stripes. Thank you. That, that should say everything we need a flag to say about our country. We don't need, we don't need the other ones. (laughs) And he was like, well, I agree. I just don't think we need to start a debate. And I'm like, I ain't starting it. I like, I'm just speaking. What I think is, is something that has been not spoken. We, we have this saying, yeah, I, (laughs) I totally agree with you. And to me, there's no debate, right? Somebody could say, like, yes, we we it's okay to be silent, right? We have a saying in the military, and I've, I mentioned it earlier, silence is acceptance, mm. period. Yeah. That ends the debate, in my opinion. So in, its, in the military, we, we use it all the time, right? If the commander is about to do a convoy and he's given a convoy brief, and he says, hey, does anybody have any issues with this convoy, with this plan? The next thing he's going to say, if nobody raises their hand, but somebody does have an issue with it, he's going to say, okay, I'll, silence is acceptance. Let's move on. You, uh, you agree with the plan? Let's, wow. Charlie Mike, continue mission. Silence is acceptance. And that's that's the truth. Yeah. Silence is acceptance. So there's certain things I don't want to be silent about. And I, I appreciate the way you phrased that. Um, Johnny, we got, uh, we got a lot of... Uh, veterans, but not just veterans in our, in our country right now, it just seems like an epidemic of suicide, yeah. uh, depression, mental health mm-hmm. issues, anxiety. Um, and I think you and I were looking on, uh, on the internet just a little while ago to see if we could be accurate about this. It's, it's high. It's, veteran suicides a day are somewhere between like 16 and 20 something. Yeah. Um, it fluctuates year to year. It breaks my heart. Um, and I know it's not just a veteran thing, but what advice would you give to men, anybody battling depression? Yeah, I, I think that that's a tough one. And, um, you know, depression is one of those things that has really impacted my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've known a lot of people who are depressed. Uh, my mother suffered from depression, which fed her addiction. Um, you know, my brother the same, and I lost them both uh, down that road. And so it's depression is something that it's 
it's a never-ending battle for some people, but you can pull yourself out of it. And I think these days people are more likely to tell you that you are just a depressed person and you'll always be depressed and you have to accept that. You don't have to accept that. You can change your mindset. You can pull yourself out of that. It's not going to happen overnight. But again, like we talked about those small steps. When I, I meet students in high school who come to me for advice and they'll say, hey, I'm depressed. Um, I'm out of shape. And, you know, like any advice for me, the first thing I tell them to do is to exercise. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so simple but I'm telling you, there's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain. When you exercise, you just feel better. Yeah. That's step number one. Yeah. Get in shape. I don't know a ton of people who are in good physical shape and take care of themselves who are depressed. I'm sure they're out there, right? I'm sure there's are people out there. But the people that I know who are diligent about their physical fitness and they're, you know, feeding their mind positive things, they're not walking around depressed every day. So there's got to be something to that. That's the number one step I tell people right away. Get in shape. Get yourself to the gym. Show up for 30 minutes a day. Give yourself 30 minutes a day. I guarantee you, you waste more than 30 minutes a day on nonsense. Scrolling. (laughs) And the next thing I'll tell people, if you say you're depressed and you don't have the time to get in shape, I hear that all the time too. I don't have the time. Next thing I'm going to tell them to do is pull up your screen time for me for the week. Yes. Pull up your screen time. Let's see what that says. If it's, it's in your, it's going to be like three, four hours. Oh, it's at least. At least for teenagers, at least. And then look at the graphs on there. It tells you what you're spending your time on, whether it's a web browser, Mm -hmm. social media, all that kind of stuff. I guarantee you, you spend enough time on social media to be at peak physical shape if you replace that with that. Yep. If you replace that time with exercise and something healthy, you would be a totally different version of yourself. Yep. Completely different. Yep. Yeah. That there's so much I could say. So ex okay, number one, exercise. This uh, this is a passion of mine. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I I was a gym teacher for a while, um, and I studied exercise science um, in college, and I've just always always been active. I mean, summer days, my mom would kick us out of the house at eight a.m. Yeah, summer vacation. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you come back in. We'll do bologna sandwiches at noon for lunch. Yeah. Lock the screen door. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hot out here. It's 85 coming in. Like we didn't have AC, but you know, we had a cold basement. She'd be like, no, no, it's not lunchtime yet. Right. (laughs) Go, go use your imagination. Go knock on that door, knock on that door, ask kids to play, ride bikes. And, and we just were active. So I think we're in a generation that isn't like that anymore. They've got big screen TVs and they've got little screens in their back pocket too. So, uh, to, to put that in perspective, sometimes I, I had a neighbor uh, talk to me last spring, like, hey, what's your name? What's your name? He's like, yeah, I've seen you. You're all, you are you are that weirdo who works out in his backyard. Right. I see you around with the vest on and you're doing pull-ups off the tree for it and you're hitting a, you got a heavy bag out here. Like what? And I, I'm the weirdo, right? Okay. Yep. So I'm working out in my backyard every day for not even two hours, for like one hour, sometimes half an hour. Yep. But I'm a weirdo. 
Meanwhile, we have a society of people who spend two hours a day watching Netflix on average, three to five hours on their cell phones on average, how many hours on their computer screens or whatever. Um, and that's not weird. Right. But a guy who works out in his backyard is a weirdo. Right. And I was like, I will proudly wear that label. I'm the weirdo who works out in my backyard. Yeah. But depression, number one, like yeah. uh, uh, way to treat it, exercise. Work up a sweat. Yep. Work up a sweat. Get get those, get your body moving. Get yourself in that uncomfortable position um, and see how you feel afterwards. Do some cardio. Do some hard cardio. Oof. You also see a lot too. I people, hate cardio. I, everybody hates it, right? I hate it too, honestly. <laughs> and the reason people don't do cardio is because of that reason. It's hard. It's so much easier to go to the gym and lift weights. But people always, I can't stress cardio enough. If yeah. you can't run, get on the elliptical, get on some type of aerobic machine that's going to push yourself to where you're breathing heavy. What's your favorite cardio? Running. You run. You run, run on a treadmill? Uh, treadmill or outside. What do you, what do you do? Like you I do... usually do five miles three days a week. Wow. Yeah, that's where my body feels yep. optimal. Yep. Um, I can keep my weight down, and it also puts me in that uncomfortable spot every time. Yeah. And, you know, I like being able to, if, you, if I had to right now, I could run five miles for whatever reason at the yeah. drop of a dime. And I like having that in the back of my head, you know, for whatever weird reason. <laughs> for the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, for whatever, you know. And the yeah. next thing I would say is surround yourself by people who are also trying to achieve that mindset. Surround yourself by people who push you to that next level. And, I'll, and you know, I, what comes to mind is you and I went to lunch a while ago. Yeah. And I think one of the first thing I said to you is, man, Adam, you look jacked, dude. Right. Your arms look huge. When I left there, I was like, I got to step it up. You know, like I was like, you obviously okay. did because you look jacked now. <laughs> so it's like you you interact with people. You're the sum total of the people around you. Yeah. And if you surround yourself by, for lack of a better term, losers and people who accept that mediocrity and people accept that just, you know, your number one goal is to just get by in life. You're going to be the sum total of that. Yeah. Right. So you have to gravitate towards people who are bettering themselves and also pushing you to be better. That's right. If I if I decided to let myself go and I stopped doing my best at work, I have people in my life who would look at me and be like, what is wrong with you? What, mm -hmm. are, you, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. They would not accept that. They would ask me, like, what is the matter with you? Even people who may not be in that mindset because they know that that's just who I am. Yeah. And they wouldn't accept that. And if you don't have people around you like that who are going to call you on your BS, you need to find some. Yep. Because people who care about you and know who you are, they won't accept you being anything less than that. Yep. And if they do, they don't really care about you. That's right. They just care about acceptance. Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a suspicion that that's exactly why some people run away from community. Mm-hmm. Because healthy community will call you out and will call you up yep. higher. And that's uncomfortable. And that, we've mentioned it many times on this podcast, but that's the whole idea behind the proverb that says, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It does not say iron comforts iron. Right. Iron yep. makes iron feel better. Yep. No, <laughs> yeah. no, iron yeah. sharpens it, man. Right. Yeah. But the end result is worth it. It's 
better, it's stronger, it's 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 more beautiful, it's it's just the process that you have to embrace. But in terms of like combating depression, you just touched on uh the one-two combo, exercise and community. Yeah. And if those two things alone were all that someone strove for if they know, hey, I'm battling depression and I'm coping with it in these ways. Right. You know, I eat crap food. I sit on my couch. I stare at a screen for, you know, 12 hours of my day, yeah. whether it's at work or at home. And, uh, you know, and I, I have some prescriptions. Like, good luck. Yeah. You'll stay depressed. Forever. You will. Yeah. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to drag my butt to a gym or, you know, I'm going to turn one of my rooms at home into a gym and I'm going to get a, another guy or maybe two other guys to help hold me accountable, work out with me or right. you know what? Hey, once a week before work, we got to grab coffee. Right. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. I just, you know, we'll talk about anything, but we need to start getting together. I need to sit my butt in front of you real time, not a zoom call. And just ask me, uh, you know, how I'm doing with my goals. Yep. Start there. Start yep. there. All right. Every Monday morning, this is what I'm doing with another guy or two. Uh, you'll, you'll find yourself far less depressed in a very short amount of time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's good that you said that because what you were saying throughout that is I need to do this. I am going to go do this. Right. So that's ownership. That's ownership and acceptance and understanding that if you're depressed, it's nobody else's fault. It's not the universe's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not your your wife's fault, your kid's fault, your coworkers, your friends. It's your fault. Yeah. Because you are in charge of your surroundings. You can't control other people's actions, but you can control with what you decide to do with your time every day. Yep. Um, and as soon as you accept that, you will be a changed person. Yep. I meet so many people who are depressed and have addiction issues. And the first thing they're going to tell you is I am depressed because of this, right? It's going to be their job, their work, their marriage, their friends, something that happened in the family, past trauma, right? It's always going to be some, something else's is the cause. Yeah. It's if you're listening to this and you are depressed, just know you are in control of it. You are the cause of it. And if you want to change it, you have to decide to do that. Mm -hmm. And that may be hard for people to, some people to hear because yeah. they're saying, well, depression is a disease and you know, it's something you can't get out of and you need medical help. Okay. Then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You decide that that's what you are. That's what you will be. And that will always be. Yeah. But if you take that accountability and get past those hurt feelings of always oh, saying it's my fault, you can accept that. And if you make those decisions, you will be a changed person. Yeah. And I'll even, I'll nuance it a little bit. I do think it's okay. A lot of times it is, it is my fault. Mm. It's, it's, Hey, it might be your fault listeners, but let me say this, even if it's not your fault, let's say, let's say you had some terrible abuse that happened to you in your childhood. Let's say you, let's say life circumstances just dealt you a bad hand yeah. in a particular season of life. I wouldn't tell you, oh, that's your fault. But I would say, hey, that wasn't your fault, but now it has become your responsibility. Yep. So, hey, be free from the blame and the condemnation and the guilt and the shame. Like, you, you didn't 
bring that upon yourself. If, yep. if someone hurt you, wronged you, abused you, God forbid, uh, there's grace and mercy. I'm not saying that's your fault. And I hope that God meets you in that place and brings you a little bit of healing. But what I will say is now it is your responsibility and your opportunity to move forward. And God will help you, but he won't just do it for you. You got to walk that path. And so, uh, you know, would you agree with that, Johnny? Would you say that's a fair way to say, like, I know some people, I don't want to assume where all of our listeners are coming from. Some of you guys probably just need to hear, hey, it's your fault and it's your responsibility. Let's go. Others of you might need to hear, you know what? It wasn't your fault, but you now have this opportunity and only you can walk that path. Yeah. And that's probably a great way of putting it. Um, You know, you are not responsible for the things that have happened to you, or maybe you were, you know, maybe you had a bad childhood, you know, and, and I've been there, I've been there. And I went through a period where I was like, all these things happened to me and now I can be sad and depressed about it. Right. So what I'm saying is, is it's your fault if you decide to stay in that mindset. Yeah. That becomes your fault. There you go. That's, that's my whole point. It's your fault if you decide to stay in that mindset and not make those changes. Mm. Then you have nobody else to look to but the man in the mirror. Well said. Well said. So advice for those of you who are battling depression, other mental, emotional challenges, exercise, exercise, exercise. I like the fact that each and every day I do something to myself in my workouts that will suck way worse than any other circumstance that'll happen to me that day. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I just punish myself way worse than any situation at work, any situation at home with the kids. With I, like I just went through the hardest thing I'll have to do today, and I brought it on myself. Like let's go. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Yeah, that is a good feeling. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll put the shower on complete cold. Right. And yeah. then just hop in there in the morning. Oh, and that sucks right away. That. Yeah. I hate it. And but then again, I tell myself, well, that's that's one of the worst things that could happen to me today. For about sixty to ninety seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then a funny thing happens. You feel great. And then you're like, Oh you breathe deep. Yep. You acclimate, you adjust. It's still uncomfortable, but it's yep. not painful. Yep. And then you get done and you're like, oh, I'm reinvigorated. Yeah. But, it's that that joy and happiness that always comes from discomfort. Yeah. When it comes to exercise and doing things like that, you always feel great afterwards. Yeah. And there's something to that, right? I'm no scientist. I've I've done research on what the brain goes through during hard cardio and stuff like that. But for, you know, grunts like myself in, you know, not a PhD or anything <laughs> like that, there's just plain there's just something to it. Yeah. You just go by what you feel afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well said. So besides exercise, we, we would, yeah, I love I love community, community, community. You got to find a, a band of brothers, which is another thing that this whole podcast is all about. Uh, we can't replace a local church. We can't replace a local group of guys who work out together or hunt and fish together or who get together for coffee or whatever. But we're just trying to contribute to the conversation. If you don't have a brotherhood and you're in a dark place, you need a band of brothers. You need to work out, but you you also need some community. You need to have at least a couple guys where you can level with, be a little bit vulnerable with, and who they, those guys will encourage you. They'll look you in the eye and tell you, you know, remind you 
that you have value, you have worth, and that you have uh, the power to move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What advice would you give to guys who want to get in shape physically? I think you kind of, t- why don't you give us a, you know, a, a one minute reminder? Yeah. Um, cardio and weights. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. That that would be my number one advice. Don't jump into this elaborate life change. Some people like New Year's is coming up, right? Oh, There's yeah. going to be so many people out there who are like, I'm going to go on this most outrageous diet and I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. And that's just going to be it. It's a they'll, new do, me. they'll do it for seven days <laughs> and make this dramatic life change. And as soon as they don't stick to it, they'll be done. Yep. Right? You have to make those small adjustments. Just tell yourself tomorrow, I'm going to do 20 minutes of cardio. Keep it simple. Then take it to 30. Then decide you're going to lift weights after your day of cardio. Make those small integrations into your life so that it is sustainable. It's all about sustainability in your current lifestyle. If you can sustain those small changes, it's way more likely that you'll stick to it. True. True. I love that. Okay. Let's uh, let's bring it on home, brother. Yeah. Here we go. Um, given all the negative news headlines, what gives you hope right now? Honestly, what gives me hope is being here, right? And knowing that there's guys out there like you and there's guys out there who are listening to this and may sh- share a lot of these same views of patriotism, you know, pursuit of excellence, pursuit of making your small dent in the universe. Uh, that gives me hope. And also when I meet those young men and women who want to serve just to serve, right? They're not just serving because it's what's in it for me. I still meet young men and women today who are like, I want to serve because my grandpa served or my dad served and they want to carry on that legacy. Mm. That's reinvigorating for me. That gives me hope. That gives me hope in the next generation. Um, And there's a lot of good people out there who feel the same way and want to just contribute to other people and they want to help and they want to do better. And that honestly, that's what keeps me drive driving towards that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, I love that. Have you heard of the, um, the cycle yes. of good men? Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it goes like this. It says hard times create good men, good men. Uh, then what, how does it go now? It then goes, good um, men create hard times, create strong men, strong men. Yeah. Strong men create, create good, good times. times, good times, create weak, weak men. men. Yes. Weak men. And then weak men create hard times. All right. It just goes in that cycle. Okay. Yeah. So give it to us one more time with total clarity. Yeah, Cause me, I love I'll this. I love this. It. Yeah. It's hard men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times and then hard times create good men. Yes. Or strong men, interchangeable. Yep. But yep. yeah, and it kind of goes in that cycle. I agree. I think if you look at every, just look at history. You can yep. look. You can look at the Roman Empire. You yep. can look at. You can look at medieval England. You can look at. Uh, uh, you know, into into the eighteen hundreds, and then you can you can look at America. You can look at any other country or empire. Where do you think we are right now in our country? I think we've had good times that created weak men, and now 
we're in that cycle of creating hard times for mm-hmm. ourselves. And I look at, you know, the greatest generation, the World War II era, when we were united against evil, those hard men created good times for us to prosper. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of at that bottom cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So one more time, just for those of you, we're speaking to the men mostly. Think about it. Um, strong men create good times. And then those good times create weak men. Those weak men create hard times. Then those hard times can create strong men or good men. And so uh, think about where we might be as a country in that cycle and, uh, and ask yourself, what are you going to do about it as a father, as a husband, as, uh, as just some guy at work or in the community? Um, because what we need right now are more uh, God-fearing patriots, good men, strong men who are willing to just, like Johnny said, serve, just yeah. serve. You cannot serve unless you have some strength to give. Yep. So any parting words of wisdom that you would give, Johnny, to uh, most of our listeners out there as I check the analytics, they are like mid-20s to mid-40s mm-hmm. men. So well, as you think of that, those aren't normally the guys you recruit, right? right? Yep. But that's you and that's me. That's probably a lot of our friends and brothers. Um what advice would you give to the average listener? Give us some parting words of wisdom as we kind of fade into the outro. Yeah, I, I hope that anything we've covered, if it resonates with you and you find you get that little spark, that little flame, that one sentence or that one piece of advice that kind of shocks you a little bit, opens your eyes, just run with it. Run with that inspiration. Run with that motivation. And if you get yourself to the gym or you find a community Just keep that fire lit however you need to. Find that inspiration wherever you need to and just keep it going. Thank you for having me.